0: Good morning, everyone. I am glad to be back from vacation. Um, it, I had a little bit of vacation for a weekend to see fam- some family, and then it was on to General Assembly in St. Louis for our denomination, which was a, a good time with everybody there. Um, but it's good to be back, and it's good to be back in my home and back with you. I was here last week, of course, but had rolled in late the night before, and so. Brian uh, ably stood up and and preached while suffering bronchitis and whatever medication he was on. Um, It was a reminder to me to not forget my Bible today, so thank you for that, Um, because I almost did actually. Oh man, well I thought I'd start by telling you a story about one time when we were backpacking, Galatians chapter 6, the words will be on the screen here. This is the word of God. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, let me just pause for a second right here, you who live by the Spirit is a direct reference to what happens immediately preceding this in Galatians chapter 5, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, that's what he's saying, okay? So you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Father, I pray that you will bless the reading of your word this morning. Spirit, would you use it to prick our hearts, to move us into action because of your great love for us we ask this in Jesus name amen all right so those who live by the spirit Paul is saying are those who will help out a brother or sister when they're caught up in a sin so getting into this and and there's lots we could say about this but trying to focus it down but let's talk about a couple of things here what is meant when it says they're caught in sin it does not mean that somebody in the church, or many people in the church, have been appointed deputized police officers to go investigate sin, okay? It does not mean that people are supposed to run around going, ha, I caught you! That's not what it's saying when somebody's been caught in sin, as if there's this, this environment where people are just waiting all the time to go, ah, I see you blew it. No, that's not what it's talking about. When it's talking about being caught, it's more like an an entrapment almost. It's translated actually in some uh, versions by the word overtaken, meaning it's one who is given into temptation or was deceived or entangled. The sin is that they have lapsed or deviated from God's commands, from living by the Spirit, as Paul was talking about in Galatians chapter 5. And in our culture today, Right, This is easy to do because our culture has great influence on us. It's where we live and work and play. It's where we go to school and are educated. And, and so our culture shapes us in so many ways. It shapes you. It shapes your kids on what you're being taught, how you're being influenced. It shapes you towards ideas and actions that are often, not always, but often contrary to God's ways. So how do we help when a Christian brother or sister is caught in sin? There's two things here I want us to focus on that I think Paul gives us. It's two prescriptions as to what we should do combined with two warnings. Two prescriptions and two warnings. And so the first is this the first prescription is to help um, restore gently. And we see that right away in verse 1 when Paul says that, right? He says, If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. The word restore is the idea of to put something back in place. It was often used of medical terms for a bone that has been dislocated and to reset it, to put it back into place. Now note, the goal of that is restoration. The goal of that is proper functioning so somebody can actually walk again, right? Notice that it also says to restore them gently. Gently. That means that when you're going to put that bone back in place, you're not like, man, I can't believe you were so dumb, <laughs> you know, kicking, I'm trying to get the bone, like you're not doing that vindictively, it's to be done with gentleness, is how Paul is describing this. Gentleness, in chapter 5, is one of the fruit of the Spirit, so right, and so you're restoring people with gentleness. And then here, Paul comes to the first warning, and the warning is, is to be careful, that you don't also fall into the same temptation that they have fallen into. And that's a, that's a good warning for us, right? Paul says, watch yourselves or you may be tempted. It can be dangerous when you go to rescue someone, when you go to help carry their burdens. I mean, I'm sure if we asked the, the workers in Miami at the condominium that collapsed, the dangers that they face in going to search for survivors, or, then we would understand the danger that's there. To be entrapped, and you might think well no i 'm good i 'm good i won't i 've got immunity i won 't get drawn into their sin, D- not so fast, right I mean you have to be careful it doesn 't mean don 't go it means be careful because we 're all similar <laughs> there 's a story i can 't remember where I read this. I read this years and years ago. Uh, it was in a book somewhere I think and it, it was a story. Um, from Muhammad Ali, the great boxer, and he was on a on a flight, and the flight attendant um, kindly came up to him and said, "Sir, you need to buckle your seatbelt." And he said, "Man, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt." And she said, "I know, but Superman doesn't need a plane either." <laughs> right? We are all like none of us are immune. We are all in the same boat. It's what Paul reminds us of in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Remembering that you could just as easily be the one who was caught, who had fallen, will help you to be gentle and careful as you go to help restore somebody. Right? And so that's understanding. It means we need to understand their predicament, but not participate in it. And I wonder sometimes, do we, do we go to help people? Do we go to restore them? Or do we just think they'll figure it out on their own? Do we sometimes give space, where space is necessary and needed, but does that linger on to too long, too much space? Do we leave people abandoned, so to speak, with exhaustion, with being caught in their sin and worn down do we leave them in that sin pattern for too long maybe it's worth thinking about let me move on though to the second thing that paul talks about which really is the is the same thing here and the second prescription is helping to carry burdens now he says the first one is if somebody's caught in a sin restore them gently the second thing he does in verse two is say that you should help carry burdens carry each other's burdens okay So if you're going to restore someone who is overtaken or fallen, you're going to carry someone else's burdens. And what I want you to think about with me for a minute here is what does that mean in terms of your proximity to the person if you're carrying their burden? Are you distancing yourself from that person or are you moving toward that person? Right? What we've titled this series is One Another, the Movement of Biblical Community. And what, what Paul is telling us is your movement should be toward one another. You should be moving toward one another to, to restore, to carry burdens. Some people, I think, have the idea that restoring people who have been caught is something like saying, here's a statement of what we believe is right and here's a statement of what we believe is wrong. Here's your instructions. Good luck. See, I did my job. I told them what they should do. Okay, we do need instruction, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is saying, no, you're going to move toward them. You're going to go get into their space, and carry their burden with them. The one whose bone has been dislocated, so to speak, uh, in restoring, might need a crutch or a shoulder to lean on, somebody to walk with, to get back on the right path. It's not as simple as just saying, hey, this is what you need to do. Here's my wise piece of advice, or here's my instruction about what is right and wrong. It's going to carry their burden with them. And they need that companion to walk alongside them. The warning that comes with that, that Paul gives, that second warning, is to not be conceited when you do this. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me. This is where this starts to change a little bit. Let's put those on the screen, actually, if you would do that for me, verses 3 and 4. It says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. And then verse 4, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Right, And then it says, for each one should carry his own load. And you're saying, wait a second, I thought Paul just said to go carry burdens, and now he's saying carry your own load. What is going on here? What Paul is saying with carry your own load is that you are not to be comparing yourself with others, going, oh, look at their load, mine's not as bad as that. What he's saying is that, in the end, when you stand before God, God's going to ask you, what were you responsible for? What's your load? You're responsible to carry your own load. And you might say, well, then why am I supposed to help somebody else? Well, while we have individual responsibility, we also have corporate responsibility and caring for one another. And those two things are not exclusive. And Paul's showing us that tension. You're responsible for your actions. But you know what? You've got to help people out when they're in need. And so, what happens when you play the comparison game with others is you're deceiving yourself, as it said in verse 3. Paul says um, that we need to be careful about that. And I think his greater point there is this. If you go about playing the comparison game of yourself compared to the other person who's caught in the sin or fallen, you won't be moved to compassionate helping. You might say, well, maybe I will be. Maybe I'll be grateful and thankful. Yeah, maybe not. Let me explain. I don't think you'll be moved to compassionate helping. You might help, but it might not really be out of compassion. Conceit or self-deceit, if we want to think of it this way, is being empty of honor or glory. What it means if you're self-deceiving and full of conceit is you have this deeply-seated insecurity with the need to prove yourself, to prove your worth to others. And if you're comparing yourself to others, then easily what Paul is saying is you can be deceiving and saying, I'm just proving my worth. And that's not the same thing as compassion. And if you fixate on comparing yourself to one another, to others, then the result of doing this is either you might look up to others whom you envy and go, man, I wish I could be more like them. And it may lead you to move toward them, but actually then to fall into their sin that Paul warned that we shouldn't do. Or you could think of yourself as more superior than others and be looking down upon others, in which case they're below you and probably not worth you your time to help them carry their burdens. Like, I don't know, I don't have time for that. They just need to suck it up, figure it out. And what Paul's saying is that self-deceit, that if your game is comparing one another's, it doesn't actually accomplish going to restore somebody gently and to carry their burdens. It just makes people be selfish. It just makes people be better and angry with one another. And we'll get to more of that in a second here. So I guess what I want you to think about with me is, if you're restoring or carrying burdens, how do we do that? Okay, Paul said it here. It's pretty plain. There's not a lot of confusing language. The question is, what do you do? What do you do? How does that practically play itself out? I remember a time I was in college, and one of our friends um, had a a bad habit. Um, The habit was that she was a thief, and a liar. Um, to give you an example, a person that she knew in her dorm lost their, um, uh, said that their um, debit card wouldn't work, wasn't working. and She said, oh, I can get it to work for you. So she took the debit card, went to the bank, and said, yeah, it's not working. You're right. But her bank account was missing like 60 bucks. Like, that's funny. It's not working, but my bank account's down 60 bucks. Well, I don't know what happened. She's like, I don't know. I didn't do it. And she was confronted on it and said, okay, I don't know what happened. I put the card in and it just started spitting out money at me. Like, okay, <laughs> right? You're a thief and a liar. But also our friend. And so what that meant was like saying, you know what? Look, look we love you. We want to, if you have need, let us know. We want to help you through this. But what we don't want you to do is continue living in this way where you're breaking trust, deceiving people, and not helping others. And you'll end up hurting yourself in the long run. And so we had to have long conversations about that, trying to help this person see that and try to change in, in her ways. Maybe it means you know someone in the church or in your community who needs more instruction about Jesus and his ways. So they're like, yeah, I, just, I don't get it. I need to know. And they also need the encouragement, like, okay, you can do it. Come on, follow along. And, and for that means then, not you just telling them from a distance, hey, it's a good thing, or hey, I'll pray for you, though that's a good thing. Carrying their burdens, working to restore them, might be like, you know what, I know this is a struggle for you. I think you should come to Bible study with me. I'll be at your house. I'll pick you up at this time. And we'll go together. And I'll introduce you to people. That would be movement toward the person. To carry burdens and say, let's go. Let's walk this path together. We just saw a promotion for Compassion International. For Compassion Sunday, right? To to support children who are in need. And this may be a little different than this, this text here, but maybe not that much different either, right? They have a need, and you might say, well, I don't know, what's their sin? Well, I, I don't know what their sin is, I don't know them. But I do know one of the things that they're living in is the result of sin. Poverty and brokenness in the world is a direct result of sin, and most likely where they're living, they're being exploited in that way. A way to carry their burden would be actually to support them and write them letters and not just send money to be encouraging. That would be a way you could do it. And some of you might be going, oh, good, thank you for that out. That's easy, I like that. That's distant, doesn't require a lot of effort for me. Fantastic. And that's not what I'm saying. I am saying, yes, do that. But I'm saying what Paul is telling us here is more than that. It is going to somebody, being with them and helping them through their situations. Perhaps one of the practical things is that That you or someone you know has fallen into sexual sin or addiction. And they need help and you need to walk with them in that. Walk with them to see a pastor. Walk with them to go see a counselor. One of the things you could do is point them to a new ministry that we are partnering with called 423 Communities. It refers to Proverbs 423, which says, Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. And the mission of 423 Ministries is to shine the gospel of sexual sobriety in every dark corner of the globe. They help you discover the reasons for your bad sexual behavior in a safe, confidential, and anonymous environment with other men or women who have achieved victory they never dreamed possible. You can overcome sexual sin, they say, but you can't do it alone. If you want to get involved, talk to me or Brian. We can point you in the right direction. Carrying burdens... Is not easy, right? Because it requires you to get a little messy. It requires you to get into life with people, to do difficult things. And so it's not easy. But it is what we are called to do. I suspect many of you think, well, I can't do that. I don't have time to do that. Or, well, I don't want to do that. And that's honest, and I appreciate that. Paul doesn't give you the easy out here. He says, if you are going to live by the Spirit, which is what every Christian does, living by the Spirit, then it's something that followers of Jesus do. And there's actually great blessing in it, because what happens is when you do this, you build friendships with people that go deeper than the surface level. And you have common bonds. You're like a band of brothers that have walked through life together now. And Paul says, not only do you have this bond of friendship, but you now fulfill the law of Christ by loving your neighbor. This is what he says in verse 2. Let me point this out to you just to make sure we don't miss this. He says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, "If if you're doing this, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. Now, I imagine we can be like, well, okay, but why, why do this? I know I'm told to do it, but I mean, like, how, how, how can I do this? And my question back to you is, how have you been loved by Jesus? How has Jesus loved you? Did Jesus restore you gently? Did Jesus come to carry your burdens? I mean, the verse over that door when you enter is from Matthew 11 where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a book that Brian has been talking about that you're going to read if you're in a community group. Or even if you're not and you want to, ask Brian you can get the book. But doing it in a group would be great. We're going to read it this fall, so in about a month and a half we'll start this. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. I have started reading it um, because I got it before I knew Brian was doing that, but I'm pausing it to wait until um, all those groups do that. But I wanted to read part of it to you today because I think that this summarizes what's going on in the heart of Christ towards sinners. And I think if you listen, it'll make you want to carry each other's burdens. Listen to what, what he says here. Hebrews 5.2 says that Jesus can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. And by that, he goes on in another place and says, the ignorant are the ones that kind of fall into sin unwillingly, and the wayward are those who willfully choose sin, like the prodigal son. But Hebrews 5.2 says, Jesus can deal with the ignorant and the wayward. The point is that Jesus deals gently and only gently with, with all sinners who come to Him, irrespective of their particular offense and just how heinous it is. What elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin, but whether the sinner comes to Him. Whatever our offense, He deals gently with us. If we never come to Him, we will experience a judgment so fierce it will be like a double-edged sword coming out of His mouth at us. Consider what all this means. When we sin, we are encouraged to bring our mess to Jesus because He will know just how to receive us. He doesn't handle us roughly. He doesn't scowl and scold. He doesn't lash out the way many of our parents did. And all this restraint on His part is not because He has a deluded view of our sinfulness He knows our sinfulness far more deeply than we do. Indeed, we are aware of just the tip of the iceberg of our depravity. Even in our most searching moments of self-knowledge, His restraint simply flows from His tender heart for His people. Hebrews is not just telling us that instead of scolding us, Jesus loves us. It's telling us the kind of love He has, rather than dispensing grace to us from on high, He gets down with us. He puts His arm around us. He deals with us in a way that is just what we need. He deals gently with us. But brothers and sisters, if that's the way that Jesus deals with you, And that's precisely why you should go to those in need. Those who are caught to restore gently. It's why you should carry their burdens, because Jesus has carried yours. This is fulfilling the law of Christ, because you know what you're doing? You're loving like Jesus. Jesus is exporting love from heaven, and your life should export love to one another. Will you export love? Will you carry each other's burdens? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will help us to be a people who will carry one another's burdens. And that in so doing, we will do this with gentleness and with love and with compassion and with the aim to restore and to make right and whole, not to be mean or grumpy or angry or vindictive or condescending. Lord, I think it's probably true for all of us here today that there's some fear about this. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't really want to do this. So Spirit, we admit we need you. We need you first to remind us of how gentle you are with us. Even as you have done in this service, that we are who you say we are we are your child. Remind us of that. Help us to know it, to believe it, that you treat us with great gentleness and with such amazing grace that it moves us to be gracious and carry each other's burdens. We ask in your name. Amen.